This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. Before we start the show, I wanted to say thanks for listening. We want to bring you the best show we can, and sometimes it takes us a week or two to cut, edit, and present you something polished. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hear the long version with no frills and wants it as soon as possible, we're now putting our Ready Player Two episode reviews on Patreon. Pay as much as you think is fair and get access to uncut episodes just hours after we record it. Join our community of gunters at patreon.com forward slash get to the good part, no spaces. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we started chapter 21. We have materialized in a half-curved tunnel with a concrete floor covered with graffiti all around on both sides and stretches out for another 50 feet. And what we've come to realize is that, well, first off, Z thinks with his image recognition plugin that they're in under Graffiti Bridge, which in fact is not the case here. We are at the entrance or on a road near the entrance to Paisley Park. And that's, that is how our team enters into what I lovingly refer to as Prince World. So let's, <laughs> I just, uh-huh. I want to build some fucking context around this conversation because we are both coming at this kind of from the same place. Pure dread? Yes, kind of. Yeah, pretty much. I think Prince is a great artist. I mean, technically, maybe genius even. He's written a lot of great songs for other artists. He has a lot of, had a lot of great songs himself. I get it. I don't get the worship. I don't either. I, I don't. I think he is potentially one of the most overrated artists. I don't know if it's overrated or just the level of fandom is just out of this world. All right. Um, over-adored? Yeah, sure. I don't doubt he was an exceptionally talented person. Right. Yeah, like, I, like, you think of that meme that's out there, the rare photo of the singer, songwriter, producer, blah, 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 all in one photograph, and you see Prince lounging in a chair. That says something. Like, he did all these things, and it was just one person, whereas today it takes a football stadium's worth of people to record a song. Sure. So, I appreciate his talent, that or that he had the talent, and that he put out some good music. I'm v- only minimally aware of his complete discography and every and those things. And what I have heard, like there's stuff that I like, there's stuff that I don't like. But I, I can tell you right now, there's not one Prince song in any of my playlists on Spotify, and that's okay. Yeah, I mean there are some classics that you heard over and over and over again, right? Sure. And even as a kid, like for a short period of time, my favorite song was Raspberry Beret. I think I was like seven at the time. And it was just a cool song. And they played it on the radio. And I probably even recorded the tape 
you know, d- during that age when you could listen to the radio station and, and record from the radio station and then create your own collection of your favorite songs that you had patiently waited for and quickly hit record whenever it started playing on the radio. Oh, do God, do you remember that. that? Did you ever do oh, that? I totally remember doing that. Oh, I remember- my God. I remember sometimes like requesting songs. Yeah, they call in like, and they take a request, and 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 you just you just sit. You'd be like, I want that song. You would wait through the commercials and the other crap songs. Not exactly Napster. No, no, not in the slightest. But you know, it somehow that just made you more involved, didn't it? You just you looked for it. It was like capturing a gem. You were invested in it. Yeah, totally. You know, it wasn't just as simple as clicking a button and listening to it. Like you were waiting by the radio with with the pause and the record, just freaking ready, just ready. And then whatever that next song will come along and it wasn't the song they said they were going to play. You're like, son of a bitch. And then the frustration when they finally play it and they spend the first 10 seconds talking over your song. I really thought about it. I would have just gotten a blank tape put it in and pressed record, come back a half hour later, right? And then I could just simply go and use the little dual cassette recorder that I had to just copy the one damn song rather than waiting for it to start playing. That sounds like cheating. It does, doesn't it? Like that would have been a shortcut. This is a rite of passage thing. The rite of passage would have been doing the right thing there. But there was no shortcut through these three very long chapters. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And and moving through these chapters one page at a time was like waiting for the DJ to play your song and him playing something else and having to wait just a damn bit longer. It was kind of like going through a run through quicksand. It was rough. We can dive in because like if, if we spend if we start off really complaining about it, it is just gonna be Then we'll have nothing left <laughs> before the end of, of chapter twenty three, right? I mean, this this is so long. It encompasses twenty. It encompasses three chapters worth of content. I wouldn't doubt it's it's probably close somewhere between like five and ten percent of the whole book. Some people probably loved this more than anything else. I have to imagine. I'm and sure. I, and I do like the fact that with the group of characters that we've got going on, we got Z, we got H, we got Shoto. You got Shoto who knows nothing about Prince. You got Z who kind of knows a little bit about Prince, but doesn't really care. And then you've got H diehard, reverent disciple fan. Fan is a loose. It's very well, you know, I tried to buff it with the other two, but the gist here is that she knows her way through this. Right. I, I told you everybody's taking their turn. You know, like Z was the expert in the Halcedonia. Yeah. Thing. Shoto was the expert in that awful Sega Ninja chapter. Uh, Artie was the expert for John Hughes World. Shermer, Illinois. Shermer. So every member of the band gets their solo. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and you as the reader are going to be one of the three or one of the four, depending on one of the five, depending on who's in the party, right? I get it. Like somebody has to be a fan here. Somebody has to have the backstory. And, and this is really... H's world. And and H is your your tour guide, if you will, through Prince Land. <sighs> the afterworld. Let's continue moving forward because I do want to hit on some points. So I mean the first point is that we have a an awesome reference to the VH1 pop up video, which I thought was pretty cool. Of all the stuff that MTV did. 
and and pop VH1. up video. Was it VH1? Was it VH1? VH1. I'm pretty sure it was VH1. I thought it was MTV, but I could be wrong. There was a time when MTV transitioned from music videos to everything other than music videos, real world, whatever. But I thought that pop up video was one of them. But VH1 started to take over for what MTV was leaving behind. So VH1 was kind of the crappy version of MTV. And then eventually it it took over for actual music videos when MTV transitioned to something else. And then I don't know what happened to VH1. But fine, pop-up video. I don't remember exactly who had it, but the gist was is that if I was watching music videos, pop-up video was probably the cooler thing to watch because it had little nuggets. It had little nuggets of wisdom about the music. It was pretty cool. I loved watching that version of V. I mean, I should look it up on YouTube to see if they have some of those up there. It was cool. Yeah. But the uh, the pop-up videos in reference to the... Again, the the image recognition plugin. Now, something that I really like about this is that, first off, I don't think we've actually mentioned something like this before. Like, this is kind of new tech. It doesn't seem like it should be new tech, but it kind of is. And maybe it's just the fact that normally he wouldn't have to turn this on, but he didn't want to feel completely stupid. Sure. So he wanted something to aid him. But there are people who've tried to create this technology because... When you're in the business world, you're trying to remember people's names. You're trying to remember previous conversations. It's hard. It's straight up. It's difficult. You know, you might meet hundreds of people. Your brain really can only handle something like a couple hundred people at most before it starts to fuzz out those that are less important. You know, uh, we are humans as a creature that are sort of genetically wired to be a part of a tribe not a whole city of people. And thus our brain really only handles a couple hundred people at a time before people fuzz in and out of our memories. So to have something that can recognize somebody or something and provide you information that's useful, provide you information. Like if you could go up to somebody, Oh, Hey, you know, Hey Bob, how are you doing? How are your kids doing? Does Tommy still love dogs? The ability to have that at your control without it being on your face is awesome. Yeah. Just awesome. I could use that all the time. For somebody that you admire, that recognizes you and remembers your name, and that maybe has only seen you a few times or talked to you a few times, it just leaves you with this feeling like you're important, that you've made an impression on somebody. And the reality is it's just a person having fairly decent memory and having practiced that, not everyone has the time to practice that. But the technology is kind of on the verge of happening. When we talk about augmented reality, this is what we're talking about. When we talk about the glasses that Apple's going to eventually come out with that allow you to do VR and AR, this is what we're talking about. You know, the ability to supplement your memory and identify and reference things that may have slipped your mind. This is the kind of shit that I'm excited about that is in the very near future. Should be fun. Yeah. And if Google, if Google Glass hadn't failed due to the, its horrific branding strategy and style, we'd probably have it now. I don't know if that's something that I would want to be the beta tester for. But if Apple's going to put one out, I have a feeling that it's going to be half decent. But I don't know. Like It has to be. That's what they do. Yeah. So I guess that would be like the first one I'd even consider. But I'd have to... You still have to convince me. Yeah. 
Apple is rarely the first to market with anything. But when they come to market with something, they come to market with the anticipation that a million people are going to buy it. And if a million people are going to buy it, it better be solid. Yep. It better be fashionable. They they need to prepare for millions of people buying it because if it doesn't work, if it's not fashionable, if people aren't going to use it, then they've got a million devices sitting on a shelf somewhere and we wasted a shitload of money and time. So yeah, I, I expect that in the next couple of years, we're going to see the glasses that, that they've already patented. But, you know, they go to the gate and you know, they come out of the tunnel they follow the, the, the what was it, 10-foot black fence around Whatever the forest until they get to the gate. And the minute they touch on the gate, there's that booming voice of God with that needle drop of let's go crazy, right? And I got to stop here. And this is where this entire chapter is laden with this idea that Prince has elevated to a level of sort of godliness. There are just these little, I say little, blatant pops, you know, like... It, we'll, we'll get into it, but it's this, again, highly overrated, right? That this this concept of that, you know, that Prince is God over this land, right? And that that's the main boss that you're really going to fight is some deitic figure or a mythic figure uh, that's all powerful. And I just didn't get that from the music. I, no. I just didn't care enough. Frankly, even this, the music, uh, the artists that I do like, like really enjoy, I don't elevate to that level. I don't, I don't elevate anything to that level. No, I don't either. Like there are some things that I quote unquote sort of idolize, I, not to that level at all, not to the level of grandeur, not in the slightest. And, and I don't think it's worthy of that. Like it's, it's it, again, it's just overblown. Sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, 25 something years ago, I was really into Pink Floyd. I collected all kinds of stuff. I listened to, you know, live albums and bought all this crap of theirs. Did I think they were gods? No. And I and I know I don't know how many people actually consider gods, but I think it's kind of like playing along. It's like, you know, Prince's land, a god of this land if you will, or a god amongst rock stars or something along those lines, but it's just uh, again, it it's Overblown. To kind of put things into perspective, in Ready Player One, there was a lot of attention put on Rush and how they were like the gods of the North and that they were basically the band that Gunters all liked. But there was never this world. I, they, I, they weren't so enshrined and so bowed down to, even in that one, in that book. Mm-hmm. And they're supposed to be, and like they're like the Gunter's paradise, right? Like they're supposed to appeal to a whole lot of people in, you know, in that kind of. I, I didn't get it. I yeah. appreciate the music. We like, we listened through it, uh, or at least one of the, one of the albums, one of the 2112. records. Yeah. 2112. And I appreciated it. Did I love it? No. Uh, but again, my taste is very selective. I, I won't say that necessarily anybody is particularly bad, particularly, if especially if they're successful, right? I can admit that it's my shortcomings and not appreciating or maybe not just liking a particular kind of music or a particular artist's music. That doesn't make the artist bad. That's not what I'm getting at at all. But when we get to this level of description about Prince, it just is so it's, overhyped. So, yeah. It's just it's overdone. Nothing, no other world or challenge or 
anything was described in the level of detail over as many words as this. Yeah. And it was lo- it was laborious. How many times was the word seven or purple? Oh just my god. Shotgunned through these three chapters. <laughs> Everything's purple. Everything's seven. Lightning flashes every seven seconds. It was just, oh. And then if you disparage the purple one, a lightning bolt's going to kill you. It's like, oh, yeah, fuck. exactly. For their the insolence and hubris. I, it, it's it's, it's um, pretentious. It is the most oh my regal God. It, pretentiousness. It is so bad. Yeah. The, but like, and the thing is, what made it even worse was all the times that H would kind of, you know, swoop in and basically make everybody feel like assholes for either not knowing the references or not appreciating Prince. It's like, fuck you, H. <laughs> I half wonder if this chapter isn't in part jesting at how people are about their idols, whomever that idol is. And that if you had to have an idol that was ridiculously worshipped, Prince is up there. And if you're going to make fun of fans for their ridiculous worshipness, Prince is up there. And plus it fits into the whole seven thing, right? So it 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 just works. It just works. So I don't know if if this these chapters are more so highlighting the brilliance of Prince or if they are Doing that in contrast to the ridiculous idol worshipness, and again, it's just this very regal pretentiousness that goes along with that. This didn't feel to me like a way to mock Uber fandom in any way. I think this was meant to, I mean, effectively be a shrine of some sort to Prince in a way that was. I think people were disappointed he wasn't referenced in the first book. I guess. I don't know. Whatever it was, this it felt forced. It felt so forced. And I felt like I was being told, you need to learn to love Prince or else. Yeah, but I felt the same way about Shermer Illinois. It was the same kind of forced. It was it was the same kind of bulk references. All smattered in all of the roads, all of the clubs, you know, all of the needle drops, all of the the item references. And I think that goes to the the fact that, like, I think, uh, and I had the, I know I have this thought written in my old show notes, mm-hmm. is that all of these challenges are done in to such a level of detail that they almost seem too complex. Yeah, it's. And the thing is, in order to get through this challenge, to any of these challenges, involves so many steps and so many weird combinations of things to happen that are not necessarily uh, like right in your face. I'd, I'd say, look, if you wanted to learn about Prince history wise, like through time and all of the things that mattered, like this is the cliff notes written out in a story style about Prince. It's three chapters about Prince and everything from the beginning of his music career to nearly the end. Actually, to actually the end, because there are a lot of comments that I'd like to get to. Yeah. But speaking of which, we whip out the crystal. And what do we find? We find seven versions, seven branding versions of Prince's special little love symbol. Hmm? Yeah. V. Yeah. 
another symbol, which looks like a circle with another circle on the edge. And then what looks like a seven inside. And that lost yeah. me because I'd never seen that reference never before. Everything it. else I figured out, we, we kind of worked through the logic of V being verses. But then we had this other symbol that I was completely unaware of. Uh, and that How is where you, yeah, how dare you fuck me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's when speaking of which H swears and poof, a little swear jar pops out of nowhere. And if you had to write that there is a moment where a person is emotionally disheveled and you need to communicate that you wouldn't just say a swear word. No, no, no. It would force a person who doesn't swear to swear. That's how serious this is. And how do you indicate that? Swear jar. I thought that was clever. You know, I mean, for all we know, H curses. We don't know. Or there'd be some monologue about how H never curses. But I just love the fact that H says, oh, we're fucked. And then, boo, swear jar pops up. Like, And then she puts a coin and it goes away. But this is an awesome illustration of... Here's a person who doesn't swear, and this situation is so bad that it causes a person who doesn't swear to curse out. I, I just like that moment. I was like, what, what a great way to describe the fact this is a very bad situation. felt a little weird to me, the swear jar thing. Like, and they, they, it didn't really go into, like, is that something that's baked into Prince World? Is that her own personal? I just took it as her own jar? personal thing, yeah. I didn't even thought of it being her own personal one until you mentioned it. I'm like, oh, maybe it is. And then it's like, who's Spud? Because it's Spud Swear Jar. Who is Spud? Maybe that's just a nickname that she's got that nobody else knows about. Nobody else would know about unless she swore and then it popped up. This goes to that thing of Chekhov's gun. You don't put something in there if you're not going to explain it or it has some sort of meaning. It, was like something well, that's it called- did have meaning. It emphasized the fact that she doesn't swear. And she so doesn't swear that she has a swear jar that she finds herself for swearing. Who cares? She's a nickname. It's it's not like we're referencing video game characters from two games that are completely unrelated to the story in a back alley. Okay. I don't know. To me, it felt a little... Which we did. Which they do. It was an interesting little detail that like has some poking fun type thing. It was fine. But... I just wanted to know who Spud is. <laughs> I don't know why. Just I, I'm I'm not sure I would get hung up on Spud so much as uh... I needed something to cl- to glob onto with this chat because like there's so much going on in here. You're just you're I just can't. walking through and you're just it's it's a it's a it's a bombardment of references. Like I said, it's the cliff notes of Prince's life in three chapters. It's done in story fashion. So we're just packing as much shit in as we can. There's clubs and people and it's just so much, so much. And it's interesting how they put that all together, but it's kind of like national treasure meets purple Kool-Aid. Purple. Yeah. It squished that all together. And that's, that's what we've got. We're running from point to point with a million references and notes and, you know, just key items in Prince's life that just kind of, Oh, look, there's that street named that way with that car and those places. Yeah. So there's a lot of that description going on and I get it. It's a love letter to people who love Prince and it's a a nice way of giving you some Prince history and not making it too boring. I mean, a little boring for us because again, I'm not as big a fan of Prince. It just doesn't hit me quite like it would a fan. 
but I could see how people might love this this set of chapters. I feel like this could have been boiled down to a much more respectable length of a challenge and down to one chapter. You probably could have read the first page of chapter 21, skipped the rest of chapter 21, gone straight to 22, because 22 is we got to go get some weapons, right? We got into, we got, we got, we went, we went and found power cells. We got into the spaceship, which kind of, in my mind, reminded me of the the Wonka elevator. They had to repair it first, don't forget. Uh, they put the power thing in, and then they all crammed in, and poof, they went away. They added the five power cells together, and then took that, and boop, stuck it inside the machine, and it worked. They had to go and get those five pieces. They had to go disable a bike, the, the Honda-matic. They got to steal a white guitar. I mean, it, basically, they're going through and they're picking shit up. You could have done the entire... If you were to do this in a movie, all of Chapter 21 would have been done to a montage. Yeah. And that's that's the problem I have with it, is that it is... There's so many steps and there's not a lot of time. Montage. We're collecting all the love symbols, the shape of a power cell. Montage. Exactly. We're flying in a UFO and going to Minneapolis. Montage. You know... <laughs> There's just so much about all these challenges that seem just incredibly complicated well, that if you didn't have a countdown running, you could probably deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that they do have very limited time and that these things seem to take so long and they're so detailed and so many steps and things are- and like... They do seem to be running through the gauntlet, right? And these are not and these are not easy. It is such an ordeal for them to go through it that H is saying it's a fucking suicide mission. But right. yet they can go through all of this and they are successful. Well, and the weird part here is that it's not just they're doing a shit ton of side quests. Side quests, I don't care who you are, in any game can take, you know, minutes to maybe even hours, depending on the game. But they have to do all these side quests to get all these things to get back to the main quest and go do the main thing. Yeah, they just don't have a whole lot of time. So to go through this really draws out this this idea that that they're able to get it in under the time frame that they need. So anyhow, so moving on, uh, an interesting part I thought here was Shoto is so underknowledged that in making fun of Prince a purple lightning bolt comes down and shocks the shit out of them. Now, they describe this as being equal to being tasered, right? With your O and I on. But in other chapters, like shooting yourself doesn't hurt. It's just like somebody hitting you or poking you hard, right? Making fun of Prince is a real crime. Well, I'm saying the O and I supposedly has like a pain limiter. And then it feeling like you're being tased is kind of like, hmm, that's weird. It's just very convenient that all of a sudden this place, oh, no, this place doesn't have really a limit on pain. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is because it's it's Prince World, disparaging the purple one is the greatest crime in all of the Oasis. Therefore, you must feel pain. Right. Right. Uh, the whole, the, uh, yeah. So we continue on. We pass. Erotic City, 
where evidently Sheila E is trying to draw people into whoever the F that is, whatever the hotel is, whatever the bar is. And you have this moment of, of temptation. Like we don't have the time to go there. <laughs> and Shoto's like, I'm not even interested. And then H is looking and kind of like, hmm, maybe no, 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 no. We got to keep going. I was kind of like, what? Get, it's like, get over yourself. What? So, yeah. But, I mean, that kind of rolls into that path where we, we understand why H had this sort of relationship with Prince. And this is the fact that her dad was a big fan of Prince. He left a bunch of Prince stuff to her. She looked up to Prince as an artist. And, I, you know, there's, like, fans that will post pictures and posters and items and drawings all across their wall as a teenager uh, that... You know, for some people, the marring of their, the idol that they look up to, the words that they hinge on, the songs that that make them feel more like a person, like they're connected to somebody that's greater than themselves. To find out that that artist or that person is is just a human that is susceptible to failing, to changing their beliefs and their judgments and betraying the people that looked up to them. So we have kind of this moment where where H confesses that, you know, she loved Prince, but in the end, in the end, when Prince became Jehovah's Witness, it, he adopted a set of beliefs. You know, one of those being that being gay is bad. In the book, it says uh, he believed God didn't approve of homosexuality, so he couldn't either. Now, can you believe that, Z? She shook her head for decades. He was an icon and a role model to generations of sexually confused kids and adults. He spoke for us through his lyrics. I'm not a woman. I'm not a man. I'm something that you'll never understand. I, I consider that to be an admirable point of view to sing from. But yeah, then as he got older, he took a JW path left. And that really seemed to alter and skew. And I think we started to see his music sort of fade off from radios and, and really popular adoption. Like I really don't know or hadn't heard a lot of songs that he had written in the last 10 years. I mean, yeah, he kind of fell out of grace. I mean, like I do. It fell into obscurity maybe. Yeah. Something like that. You know, it was interesting because I hadn't heard about Prince for a long time, but I was watching a documentary with Kevin Smith and he was doing the 2002 University of Wyoming speech where he went and he basically talked before an audience. And the audience got to ask him questions. You know, in this documentary, he talks about how he called Prince to see if he could use one of his songs. And Prince said no, but instead pitched for him to come and do a documentary of an album that he was releasing. So, you know, this is Kevin Smith. He fucking loves Prince too. He's, he couldn't say no. So he goes and does this, this doc, he goes to film a documentary at Paisley Park. And and I'll just I'll just quote you what he said. He said, we, you know, we'll, we'll lead our lives by this over there. You live by what you do. You have no laws. And this is this is Prince talking to the audience, trying to say, yeah, I live my life now by the Bible as a Jehovah's Witness. This is how I live my life. And he's quoted here. He, this keep in mind, this is Kevin Smith quoting him. So I don't know how accurate this is. But, you know, Kevin Smith said, you know, we have laws. We want your women. So we'll take them. There's nothing you can do. Women come here because you don't lead your lives by this. He's basically kind of doing this demonstration where he'd say, all right, all the women come to this side of the room with me. And you're coming to the side of the room with me because I've got this. I can have all your women. And it, it's this idea of going from sort of love and appreciation and maybe even worship of women right to a weird sort of like 
women are religious sex cattle. Now, that said, that's Kevin Smith interpreting and probably paraphrasing a lot of what Prince said, but that's the impression he came off with. Yeah, when I heard that, I was like, oh, bless. What happened? You know, and, and I think he bought into it, that whole self-righteousness. I'm I'm close to God, right? I was meant to be prince, but not just prince. Now I'm going to become, you know, right hand of the king. And I get all the women for it. Like he just, he just rationalized with religion, sexualizing people. You know, he did it in his earlier music, but now he's made it a level of sort of righteous sexualization. And ugh, it's just kind of like, okay, too far for me. Does that make Probably sense? For a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. It's just, you know, I heard that and I was like, I, I get that Kevin Smith really idolized Prince and his skills, but I was like, ugh, eh. it just went from a so-so artist to a meh artist real fast. Yeah. I mean, as we said before, you know, talented artist, a few things that I am aware of that I, I think I said in the previous recording that, you know, I think my first major exposure to Prince was the, the Michael Keaton Batman movie and the soundtrack. Yeah, that was good. That was okay. It was good. Yeah. Other than that, like, I didn't really, like, I was reasonably aware of some of the more popular tunes. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some recordings of some of his performances, like the, pretty sure it's considered a rather an iconic performance where he, he was um, the while my guitar gent- gently weeps performance. I mm-hmm. forget exactly what the occasion was, but it was pretty great. <laughs> I'd imagine. And that's where it ended for me. And like, you know, I don't think I was really aware of all this Jehovah's witness stuff. And frankly, it's like, do what you want. I don't care. Like, yeah. Like I wasn't really a huge fan and I wasn't aware of it, but you know, I don't know. I just, in other words, that didn't really take it down at all. It didn't take we, it down. We were down already pretty it, low. We were already not really caring. There's nothing else that's going to... Prince was not on my radar, so like it wasn't... like. But but I understand like if something that I really... If somebody that I really looked up to, respected, idolized, suddenly decided that... Actually, I have a, I have a pretty good example of this, actually. Like I said before, I'm a big fan of Pink Floyd. Roger Waters right now... He's going to say, he says stuff that's like, you know, he's very anti-Israel. He's very pro-Palestinian. Now, whatever side of the, uh, whatever you think about that particular issue, it's like, that ruins that for me. Yeah. yeah. So I get it. I, I, I understand H's perspective on this. That yeah. being said, I still listen to old Pink Floyd music. You don't want to throw the, you don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can appreciate the the artistry in the skill uh, separate from the downfalls that make us human or from the differences that divide our opinions and our beliefs and our morals and our ethics. So I, I get you. Why throw it all away? You know, and the thing is like every, people are people. Mm-hmm. They're allowed to have their beliefs. And like, I've already spent a ton of money on Pink Floyd stuff. Right. Roger Waters has gotten enough of my money as it is. Am I going to go to a concert of his in the, any time in the near future? Probably not. He was probably one of the one of the last concerts I ever went to. Gotcha. One of his last wall tours. It's a good show, but it did leave a little. It does sting. Yeah, you know, it's like I. 
it almost makes you, it makes me really wish that sometimes these people would just shut the fuck up, play your music and don't get on your soapbox and try to don't be more than what you are. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I think it's, I think it's comparable to when you find out that your parents are just humans. Um, just like anyone else, just like you, no. uh, prone to make the same mistakes, uh, just still trying to figure out the damn world. Every year they get older, it turns into a slightly different version that they've got to figure out that we've got to figure out. You're joining the struggle. And as a result of them becoming human, you might get a little bit closer to them. But at the same time, there's a facade that drops that your parents were superhuman that they knew for some of us that they knew everything uh, that, that they were what we strived to model ourselves after be it good or bad. When you're a serious fan, it's very similar to that, I think. But that said, I think we can round out chapter 22 at the back of a thrift store about to go in the outdoor. Was that a sexual thing? It had I, to be. I think it was just pointing out that she was rebellious. You know, she came in through the outdoor. But I don't, I don't, I mean, you, you could make anything that Prince is saying sexual, whether or not there was any intention. I don't know. I, maybe she's very experimental. And that was you just an only example. only go in through the outdoor. That right. feels like a sexual thing. <laughs> and it is at this point that, that as you'd already mentioned, Z is looking at his watch and going, we've got an hour and 44 minutes before all of this shit falls on us yeah and no. and for crying out loud i all this stuff that still has to happen right in chapter 22 and 23 is going to take more time than that yeah and they still got another challenge yeah many many challenges like like this is how a side quest should be right because chapter 22 they got to do a bunch of boring shit first but we're not we're not going to dive into that just yet so that said, let's let's end this before we move on to the next chapter. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. We'll catch you on the next chapter. Bye.